Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. Today, we get to talk to Tom Gibson. Now, Tom's modern twist on classroom jobs and classroom economies really aligns with our relationships touchstones and gives us a new strategy to create an engaged community of students. Now, Tom has a passion for audio engineering and creating videos, and as a result, he has created a YouTube channel to share how he's integrating STEM into his lessons. Now, also notice how his passion project has enhanced his teaching and given Tom another opportunity to be reflective. So let's meet Tom. Well, I am a middle school teacher in Austin, Texas. I'm in my 10th year of education. I teach uh, middle school pre-algebra. I teach middle school robotics, the elective, um, as well as physical science, eighth grade physical science. Um, I'm an advisor uh, to about 12 students. Um, and on the side, outside of the classroom, I have a business around supporting teachers through my YouTube channel and posting stuff on Instagram and doing professional development at schools, which has gotten so much easier to do uh, in the time of COVID because <laughs> I don't even need to leave my house and I'm doing professional development for schools in California and stuff. So uh, that's uh, kind of what I do uh, in, the, in the world of education. Excellent. And so you specifically have a modern spin on classroom jobs and classroom economies. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I got the idea. Well, I started doing classroom jobs my very first year because I felt that was kind of just standard. I was teaching fifth grade. You had your line leader. You had your caboose, who was the person at the end of the line. You had your bathroom monitor, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember reading a book by Ray Fesquith, a teacher, uh, 30-year veteran, and it, I think it was called Teach Like Your Hair's on Fire. And he had this these classroom jobs, but there was also like all these classroom money uh, involved with it, and kids got paid salaries, and they had to pay rent on their desk. And then there was they there was auctions in the classroom where they could buy things with their classroom money. But if they did anything that wasn't welcome in the class, they, they would have to pay fines with their oh. classroom money. And I was like, this is like the coolest thing ever. And so I think it was around my third year teaching. Um, I started kind of taking some of those classroom jobs and implementing this classroom economy uh, piece to it. Um, and since then, I've also uh, kind of revamped my jobs. I didn't kind of do the, I didn't do as much of the the traditional jobs, but I thought of two different types of jobs. Like what kind of jobs can I have that are creative in nature for my students? Um, mm -hmm. And what kind of jobs are supportive in nature? Uh, traditionally, I usually just did supportive jobs. Like I need someone to water the plants for me and I need someone to, mm -hmm. to be in front of the line. And they were supporting the work that I was doing. Uh, but in the past couple of years, I've really tried to add more opportunities for students to do more creative work um, with the job. Um, so for example, I have a newsletter writer 
And I started doing this in my math classes, but now it's all my classes, math, science, and robotics. Um, a newsletter writer where a student uh, ha writes a newsletter once a month using Adobe Spark, which is super easy to make it look all nice and fancy. Um, yeah. And it's like, what's going on in the world of math? What's going on in our classroom? What, what's, your, what's a fun math joke of the day? What's, who's the mathematician of the month? And it's a newsletter that I send out to all of the students in that class, as well as their parents. And so I'm giving these yeah. students a, an, an authentic audience. It's not just like some random newsletter that I print out and post on the wall that no one reads. Um, an additional one that I've made this year was class podcaster. Cause I kept seeing all these things about podcasting in the classroom and I've had my own podcast and I studied audio engineering in college. I'm like, I really should have a class podcaster. And yeah. so I have a couple students that once a month, it's really similar to the newsletter. It's like, what are we doing in, in, in science class this month? Who's the scientist of the month? What's going on in tech and science news. And it's a two to three minutes, uh, podcast. And I put it up, they record it on, on, on either uh, uh, GarageBand or an mm -hmm. application called Soundtrap, which, make, which makes it easy to do it online. And then I make them, um, I, I have them share, I share that with the community as well, like with the uh, same as the newsletter uh, to give mm -hmm. those students an audience as well. Um, and different things, like I, I included a new, a new role called the DJ um, who plays music <laughs> at the beginning of Zoom class and then tells a little bit about the music that they're playing. Um, I have a motivational speaker who records a one minute motivational talk that I share with the beginning, with the class at the beginning of the week on motivational Mondays. Uh, so they I learn about that. like how to, how to, how to be engaging on video and how to, how to videotape or video record themselves. Um, I have a visual display artist who, when we were in, in, in school still, they would make posters for me. So I never bought posters that were like, have a growth mindset. But after right. we had the discussion about a growth mindset, I got with my, my visual display artist and I was like, I want to take a, make a poster. What ideas do you have for this poster that should include mm -hmm. these things? And it's like, okay, great. When do you think you could have this done? Uh, I think I can get it done in a week. And then they come back in a week and it's this awesome poster that was made by one of the students that I'm like, look at this poster before I actually put it up on the wall and it becomes more meaningful. Um, yeah. It's more meaningful than something that I just put up there before school started. And then I've got photographers and videographers that, that take pictures in class that I end up using on my own Instagram accounts. So the kids know it's not just photos that never get seen again, but I'm, again, you're seeing a theme that like their, yeah. their work has meaning and purpose and an audience. Um, and they're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, and, and a few others here and there, uh, those are, but most of those are like the creative jobs. I have mm -hmm. the supportive jobs as well. Um, where it's like the person who takes attendance for me, the person who, mm -hmm. uh, takes care of all the tech stuff. Like when we were in person, they would set up my computer and plug it into the projector and turn on the projector and then pull up the class website all while I am greeting students at the door and not having to worry about that. Um, and when mm -hmm. we're virtual, my tech guru, they're, they're helping people out, send them to a breakout room to help people out with their tech issues, things like that. Um, this year I'm doing Minecraft in the classroom. So I was like, I need a Minecraft mentor. I need a student that's going to like oh. explain things to me about Minecraft. And I think like 80% of the students when they applied for the job, like wanted that job. Um, and I only needed one. And so those are, those are just kind of a glimpse of some of the jobs that I have. Um, but the big thing is like, I wanted creative jobs and supportive jobs. I wanted jobs that gave students an authentic audience and gave them a purpose and a meaning in what they were doing. And as far as supportive jobs, I really wanted jobs that were actually uh, solving a problem for me and that were accomplishing tasks that I normally would have to do. But then mm -hmm. if I outsource it to the student and train them on how to do it and give them feedback in the first few times that they're doing it, 
um, I can depend on them to get it done, get it done correctly. Um, and it frees up a lot of time for me. Um, and then they also see that it is a job that needs to be done. It's not like some random job that I just gave them because everyone needed a job. And so that's kind of my, my take on, on classroom uh, jobs and a little bit on like classroom economy. What's really nice about this is that, like you said, it has a connection to an outside audience. Um, and I'm, I'm just sort of curious about the nuts and bolts of it. So, and the, the, also the lovely thing is if people are working virtually right now, and I know that many people are looking for different ways that they can engage their students um, while we're doing distance learning, while we're um, working vi- virtually or hybrid, and it, obviously it works face-to-face, but all of these jobs seem like things that students can do from home. Um, and so that's actually really interesting. So I'm curious from a nuts and bolts standpoint, you know, how often do you change your, your classroom jobs? How do students um, sort of become the job? And then do you have any issues with students sort of not following through? Yes. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the first question I'll say is, uh, as far as them getting the job, I introduce the jobs at the beginning of the year um, and say what they entail and what kind of person I'm looking for. And then they have a job application, which is just a Google form. Um, and they have to tell me what their top three job choices are, because I'm trying to create some buy-in. Um, I don't want to just assign a job to someone who doesn't really want it. And so with each job that they say they're that they're applying for, they have to tell me why they'd be a good fit for the job. And that becomes a really good opportunity about talking about adding value. Um, like, don't tell me you want to be the Minecraft mentor because you love Minecraft and Minecraft is the best. Like that doesn't, that doesn't tell me, that doesn't really help me know why you'd be a good fit and how you're going to help me. Uh, but instead you say like, oh, I've taught my, my cousins and my friends how to play Minecraft. And I love teaching people how to play Minecraft. They're, they're turning it around and saying how it's going to be valuable to me to hire them as the uh, Minecraft mentor, as opposed to why it'll be valuable to them on why I should hire them. And so we have that discussion. Um, and then they put that all that in the, uh, in the application. And then I go through and I really try to give them one of their top three jobs. Um, and it's okay if I have more than one person that has a certain job. Like mm-hmm. I had several people that you know, the, the podcast was in their top. I was like, oh, that'd be great. Like having a, a team of three work on a podcast is totally fine. Um, yeah. You don't have to have one person for each job. So it's more important for me to, that they get one of their top three jobs. And then as far as, as training the students, um, they kind of get a, a little checklist of everything they need to do. Um, I do not uh, have them change jobs throughout the year. Um, oh. I did when I was in elementary school uh, because just kind of change things up. But with some of these jobs, they're a little bit more involved and I did not want to have to keep training people. And then Mm -hmm. even if I got one student to train another student, it's like, I'm sure some of that is going to fall through the cracks. Um, And then I'm just going to be like, by the the time the third person's doing it, it's like, you're doing it all wrong. Who trained you? Um, (laughs) So I'd much rather just have a student have a job that's a part of their routine that they exp- they know like this is my job with this class. This is what I do every day or every week. Um, so that way I don't have to retrain them. I know mm-hmm. some teachers do do retrain and, or maybe we'll do it like what the second semester they'll change out jobs. Um, but that ends up being kind of the most time consuming part is like going through the job applications and then assigning mm-hmm. people and then letting them know what their job is and then training them. I don't really want to do that more than once a year. And so I just <laughs> do it once at the beginning of the year uh, and then they keep it. Um, but they have opportunities to like start their own business if they're kind of bored with their job and, and things like that. Um, as far as uh, students not completing their jobs, 
Um, a lot of times I will there in our classroom economy, there is a job infraction fine. And so they oh. will, they will lose money. Uh, it's kind of a hefty fine. They will lose money for not completing their job or not meeting certain deadlines. But as much as I can, I'm trying to create buy-in um, from mm-hmm. the, the, the job application process is hopefully it's going to be a job that they want. So that's less of a fight to get them to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to give them as much agency in their job. Like if I ask, like, like I said, with the visual display artists, I ask them like, what ideas do you have for this? What's a reasonable deadline, you know, and they're telling me all of these things. And so if they're setting deadlines for these things, then it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more on them and like they're, they feel more ownership in the job. Um, and so I think that that helps limit some of the normal, what, I, what you normally see of maybe kids not being as interested in their job. But mm-hmm. I do have the job infraction fine there. Um, occasionally there is going to be one or two students a year that really just don't really <laughs> like their job um, or just don't end up doing a good job. And they, they end up not having a ton of money uh, in the classroom economy, which means they don't really get to participate um, mm-hmm. in things like the auctions and buying fun little things that, that other students are buying, uh, which ends up being a natural consequence. Um, and if it ends up being something where it's like, I really need that job to get done, but a student um, is not getting it done, uh, then I might consider uh, even outsourcing that job to somebody else. If after meeting with that student saying, hey, you're getting a job in Fraction Fine, what's going on? Why can't we get this job? And what can we do to make it a little bit easier? Is it, is it unclear? Are the things that you would do differently about it? And if those conversations don't really work out, then then I may, I've never really fired a student um, <laughs> because I'm like, I don't want a student to just think like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Like everyone else will take care of all the other stuff. Like I want everyone to have a role of some mm-hmm. kind and can be contributing to our classroom community and our classroom culture. So I've never overtly fired anyone. I have like kind of reshifted some responsibilities, but didn't overtly say like, you don't have to do anything anymore. But um, for the most part, I'm just trying to build in as much buy-in as I can to hopefully not uh, run in as much uh, to the to the students just like not doing their job. So does everyone in your classroom economy, does everyone have a job or or does everyone have a base salary or how does that work? Everyone does have a job. Um, the The salary range is eleven hundred a month to sixteen hundred a month, so it's not a huge, huge range. Um, mm-hmm. the more responsible jobs are the jobs that I really need someone on top of stuff. As part of the application process, they have to turn in supplemental things like maybe a letter. They have to get a letter of recommendation if they want one of the really high responsibility jobs that pay more money. Um, and so then that way I, I can kind of see, oh, this student actually followed through with a letter of recommendation. Yeah. They're probably a lot more likely to do a good job than the student applied for it, but never gave me the letter of recommendation. Um, and the the oh, man, I lost my train of thought. Your question was. Well, I was just curious if everyone has a job. So let's say, for instance, um, so everyone has, let's just go mid-range. Everyone has $1,200 a month. Um, They have to pay a certain amount of rent on their desk. Yeah, Um, rent is $1,000. What what else do they use money for? Yeah, rent's a thousand dollars a month. Internet bill is fifty dollars a month, and so everyone has minimum salary is enough to cover rent and uh, and and you internet bill. Um, as long as you're not getting a ton of fines for missing work or being tardy or being rude or being off task or things like that, uh, so they can get fines and money taken out uh, of their account for doing things like that. Um, I use an app called Paygrade.io. It's a virtual bank, um, and it's it's kind of like an all in one. Uh, platform where I can actually 
I can create accounts for all of my students. They can, I can say, okay, I want every student to have a checking and a savings account or a checking savings and credit card account. And I can put all of my jobs in there. I can say how much the jobs are worth. I can assign the jobs to the students so they can see their responsibilities every time they log into their bank account. Um, I can set up automatic, uh, automatic deposits, direct deposits. And I talk to students about that. Um, I'm like, most of the time, like you're not going to get an actual check anymore. Your, your employer is just going to put it in your account. Um, I set up automatic rent withdrawal. Uh, we talk about that um, and saying like, okay, keep an eye on your accounts and make sure that certain things only come out when they're supposed to come out. Um, and then they start they start wondering, what is this 1% APR, 3% APR? Why does what, what credit card says 25% APR? You know, what is that? Like, you know, so if, if they don't have enough money in their checking account, then something goes on their credit card and they start seeing that accrue interest and like, wow, that's really accruing interest a lot or even a little thing like, keep money in your checking account. One girl, she's super on top of things, but she kept moving everything over to her savings account. And then when a certain withdrawal came through that she wasn't expecting, it went on her credit card because her checking account was completely empty. And she's like, but I had money in my savings. And so we had that discussion. It's like, you don't want to have an empty checking account though. And we Mm -hmm. talked about how banks will will do overdraft fees or or, or things will get bounced back or things like that. Um, So it creates a lot of opportunities for like real world skills for students to learn about like checking on their banks and things like that, um, which I like a lot more. I did start out the classroom economy having paper-based stuff, but it was just mm-hmm. too much to try to keep track of. And bankers yeah. had these these folders and ledger sheets, and I was like, ugh, these are, I don't even I don't want to look at this anymore. <laughs> and yeah. like stuff was getting misplaced, and so it's just a uh, it's a lot better. It's a lot easier for me to manage as well. And then I can have students that serve as bankers in my classroom economy as well that have special privileges of depositing mm-hmm. and withdrawing money. Um, so I don't have to take care of a lot of it. Um, or if someone's like, Oh, I accidentally did this transaction twice. I can just tell a banker, Hey, can you go in there and undo this transaction and they'll go ahead and take care of it. So um, that's okay. kind of like where everything is housed and what takes care of a lot of this stuff on the back end for me. Well, it definitely, it's very fascinating. And I love that it's, that you've made it electronic so that it's easy. So it's very real life. You know, I haven't seen a check and I don't know how long. And so that seems like it would be um, important. I know that your school also has a project day. Um, Can you share like what this means to students and how they go about preparing? Yeah, project week, it's usually the week before spring break. uh, And we, we pose it to the students as if you... The students don't have classes that week. Um, they have the entire week to work on whatever they want, uh, which most students, when you tell them that, like, uh, I don't know, I guess a science project. But it's like once they start seeing a vision for like just being able to do any kind of project and learn about anything you want, uh, you start seeing some really cool things. You see kids that learn how to cook. They're like, OK, I want to learn how to cook. I'm going to make Mexican food on Monday, Chinese food on Tuesday, Indian food on Wednesday, uh, American food. on. You know, they, they plan out a whole yeah. week of all the things they're going to learn. We've had students that have gone to NASA and interned for a week at NASA. We've had a student that worked with the Texas Rangers for a week. We had a student that built his own PC. We had a student that learned all the different uh, website building platforms like Squarespace and WordPress and Weebly and then compared them. We had students, I had a student that that built a, uh, a cigar box ukulele. Uh, we've had Ooh. students that record an album that week. We have students that... Yeah that start their own YouTube channels, which is one of the ones that I've led in the past. And so it's like, it's open to, to anything uh, that they want. Um, and then I, one that was really fun was a couple years ago, I was like, I was helping out students that wanted to do a project related to esports, um, just competitive video game playing. And so 
we had some students that started their own Twitch account, which is all about live streaming and all the ins and outs that go with that. We had several students set up a, a gaming event, a, a Super Smash Brothers tournament in Austin. And they, they actually connected with a local video game shop that was willing to host it there for free. And then they learned about Facebook ads to promote it and stuff. And so it's, it's very, very open to, to really whatever the kids want to do. Um, and we as the teachers and the guides, like the weeks leading up to it, it's like two months leading up to it. Uh, we spend maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes a week um, working with students like, okay, what's your plan? What's your vision? What are you wanting to accomplish? What is your schedule going to look like? What you have right now doesn't look like it's going to be a week. It looks like it's going to be three hours of work. What can we do to expand on this? Or what you have is really, really, really ambitious. What's a good starting point for maybe what we can actually accomplish in this week? Who are you talking to about mentorship with this? Are there calls that you need to make? Are there interviews that you need to have? And so we're just, we're guiding the students through that. And they have like different mm -hmm. graphic organizers and reflections and things like that uh, to kind of as much as they can come up with some kind of successful successful week um, and a successful week doesn't mean they end up loving the thing that they did a lot of times it's like I thought I was gonna love coding and I did it for a week and I hate it um, wow. but they, they they present that uh, the week after project week or after spring break they we have a big project week fair where they actually do a presentation on on the thing on the things that they did, what they learned, why they did it. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. students make video reflections and share that, or share photos, and um, just kind of reflecting on what the experience was like for them. Uh, so it's one one of the most you know meaningful things that we've done uh, at our school uh, for for students and self generated learning. Yeah, I love that that they're sort of thinking about what they want to know. Um, and then trying it out and then, you know, like you said, fig figuring it out and kind of nice to know that they can decide that really wasn't for me, but I learned that's something I learned about myself along the way, yeah. which kind of ties in really to my next question is that, you know, as a teacher, obviously you're, you're doing your job as a teacher and enjoying it very much. But as you said, you also have kind of taken your passion for teaching and your you're um, sharing it with others um, through your YouTube channel, through the professional development that you're doing. And I'm curious about sort of what are the steps that you took um, and sort of even sort of the mindset moves that you made from um, I'm teaching in my school to I want to share what I'm doing with a wider audience. I would say the first video that I posted that was school related on YouTube was back in 2011. I had gotten this idea during my teacher training. It was actually my first year of teaching. Um, one of the teachers that was leading a session in our training talked about how he did this Dear World project. Um, well, it was adapted from a, a project by a photographer named Robert Fogarty. And you asked the students, uh, if you had a, a, in three to five words, what would your message to the world be? And students mm -hmm. would, would write down their message either on their, their arms or on their face or, or on their hands or on a piece of paper. And then he filmed it. And I was like, oh, I love that. Because at, at the time, like I studied audio engineering in college, which was audio and video. And I was all about like making videos with my friends. And I, I, I really got into video before I even left college and became a teacher. And so I was like, this seems really right up my alley. And so I did that in 2011. Um, and it was also, it was a, a, an international baccalaureate uh, primary years program school. And mm -hmm. they do something called exhibition, which is, it's, just, it's pretty similar to project week. Um, where students do a big project over the course of several months. And that was one of the first videos that I made besides the Dear World one, where I was kind of showcasing what was happening because 
I just thought it was so cool. And I thought it'd be really fun to make a video and, and learn more and become a bit better video editor. Um, and so from 2011 till about 2015, 16, um, I made videos here and there and vlogs and, and, and just kind of didn't really have much of a, a goal except, except just kind of having fun making videos. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that included what was going on in the classroom. And then around 2015, I was like, I really want to make more YouTube videos and I'm watching YouTube more and I'm getting inspired by some of the people that I'm seeing on YouTube. And I think this could be really fun. Um, and so I started doing a lot more stuff in my classroom. I was filming robotics projects and math projects because YouTube was like, it was starting when I was leaving college. Like, I mean, it was starting to get popular back in 2010, 2009. And I remember using YouTube to kind of learn a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like when I was... Uh, my final capstone project, I had to make a DVD with this prop, the software that I, I didn't know how to use. And I, I went onto YouTube and it's like, there was a, a tutorial on it. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is great. When I became a teacher, I didn't know anything about classroom management. And so I was scouring YouTube for all these classroom management videos. And so YouTube really played a part in just my own learning journey and experience, uh, both in and out of the classroom. And I loved video that it just, it, it, it made sense for me. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm learning how to become a better teacher. Um, I've been doing this for at that time by four or five years now. Um, and I think there's things I can share that could be helpful to other teachers. And I really enjoy the process of making videos and reflecting. And so mm. I started making some of those videos and I found like it, it made my classroom like a better experience for the kids because I, I, I told myself I wanted to do a video every week. And so if I looked forward at the week and I'm like, what am I going to film this week? And I realized I had like nothing that was really engaging. I was like, oh, there's that lecture in math on Monday. That's probably not going to make a very fun <laughs> video. And so it made me kind of think of like find fun and interesting project ideas for the sake of making a better video. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the students benefited from it. I benefited from it. And then other teachers benefited from it because even though these were projects that I'd never done before, I was like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I think it's going to go. Okay. Now let me film it. What's going on in class. And okay. Now let me film myself afterwards, reflecting on if I did this again, how would I do it differently? Um, and so I just really loved uh, the process of video making videos and, and making them for teachers and sharing what I knew and what I was passionate about seemed to be uh, the right fit for me uh, in a way that I think would help the most amount of people. And so back in 2018 or so, I really started to try to focus the YouTube channel um, to help teachers specifically, because up until that point, um, I was making teaching videos, but I was also like, I'm going to try all the best breakfast tacos in Austin, Texas and make a video <laughs> about it. And I'm going to do this productivity video and I'm going to do, you know, it's like I was all over the place with it. And so I was like, well, I, I would like to now kind of start thinking what this could look like if it was a business. And, um, and that's when I, I started learning about, you know, having a target audience, you know, having a, mm -hmm. a value proposition, a reason for someone to, to come and watch this video, uh, and subscribe and, and, and what's it, how is it going to benefit them? Um, as opposed to it being like, everyone look at me and all the cool things that I'm doing and all the places that I'm going and please be impressed with me. Um, how was I going to make videos that were going to be uh, of service to other people? And so that's kind of what got me started. And it's kind of been cool because when I started with the, the classroom videos, 
I would send the videos uh, to the students and the parents, uh, mainly as as a as a safety thing. Like I didn't want a parent to happen upon a video um, and then yeah. see their kids. I mean, like I, when was this? this was six months ago? I didn't even know about this. You know, but me just saying, hey, I recorded this video last week. Uh, this is a little bit of what we've been doing on this project. Uh, the video was made for teachers, but I did want to share it with you all so you can get a glimpse of what's going on. And, and my school had a list of kids that were not allowed to be on social media. So I just kept that in mind when I was editing and filming the video mm-hmm. to make sure that they weren't. Uh, but the, the feedback that I got from the students and the parents was always super positive. And parents were like, oh, thank you so much for sharing this. This is so awesome. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I asked my kids how school's going and they kind of talk about some of this, but most of the time I don't get much. And to kind of get an actual view of what's going on, um, it, I, I really enjoy that as a parent. So thank you. You know, so it, it ended up being something that actually really built a po- built a positive culture in my classroom. And then when I was doing weekly videos, kids were like, are you doing a video in class today? You know, I'm like, oh, no, I'm doing one of my robotics class. Like, oh, can we do a video in math? You know, because they're in middle school. Like, so they're still yeah. kind of like, yeah, I want to be on camera. Whereas like, I think if you get to like ninth and 10th grade, they're like, oh God, please don't let me be in the video. <laughs> so I love that because it's such a great example of, of having a passion of your own and then using that passion to enhance your teaching and then taking it from there and then serving other teachers and sharing that with the world. It's, it sort of mimics what we, what you're modeling for your kids. Yeah. Um, I was curious about what other, um, sort of we're always learning. And I always ask at sort of at the end, what books or videos or podcasts that you would recommend for others? As far as books, um, I would recommend, uh, there's a book called the classroom management book. Um, it's by Harry Wong. He actually wrote the first days of school, which is like a Mm -hmm. staple for most teachers. I don't know as many teachers know about that, the follow-up, the classroom management book. Um, because I, I feel like a lot of these ideas, there's, there's so many teachers out there that are like, I, I want to do like interesting and creative stuff, but I've got these problems with classroom management that are just getting in the way of that. And I think, if teachers get some of the training or for even for me, like going through the Harry Wong book and all that like classroom management stuff early on, but kind of moving it away, away from it throughout the years, like just getting reminded of like going back to routines and procedures mm-hmm. and then even incorporating a lot of that into, into my class jobs. Like, I feel like that's going to be one of the main things that helps create a classroom culture where you're allowed to do uh, really fun and exciting and unique and innovative things in a way that's going to be receptive by the students and and it's going to be fulfilling to you. And so mm-hmm. I would say if like you're at a place where you're like, I want to do this stuff, I just don't know. I don't see it working with 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 the way things are in my classroom right now um, because of classroom management. Get the classroom management book. Um, that, that'd be my book recommendation. As far yeah. as podcast recommendations, uh, two fellow YouTubers, um, Michelle Ferre from uh, Pocket Full of Primary and mm-hmm. Bridget Spackman, I believe her last name from uh, the Lettered Classroom, I think is her channel. They have one that's all about organization and productivity and time management um, mm-hmm. in the teacher world. And it's called Teaching to the Top, um, T-O-P, Time Management, Organization, and Productivity. And so mm-hmm. time management, organization, productivity is kind of like, you're like, oh, I got to get my, my I, I don't have enough time to do some of this stuff. Uh, they have really good stuff there. Wonderful. And if listeners want to connect with you or hang out with you, where can they find you? 
Right now, I am most active on YouTube and Instagram, youtube.com slash Gibson EDU, or you can just search my name, Tom Gibson. Tom is spelled with an H, so it's T-H-O-M-G-I-B-S-O-N. Um, and on Instagram, I am sharing stories daily. Uh, a lot of times, I, I've been fully remote this whole semester, and uh, Austin, Texas just went up to stage five, which is the worst stage. So I think oh, we are going to continue uh, to be remote in the new semester as well, at least for the first uh, several weeks. And so I'm doing, I'm sharing all these distance learning things that I'm trying really similar to those early YouTube videos of like, here's what I'm going to try and here's how it's going. And here's how it went. Um, that's all going in my Instagram stories. That's at Gibson education, um, on Instagram, or again, you can just search my name, T H O M G I B S O N. Uh, and if you're interested in like the classroom jobs, I have a free course, um, called essential student jobs for the middle school classroom of tomorrow. A lot of these jobs would be applicable to elementary and high school as well. Um, but since I teach middle school and I've seen them work there, that's why it's that. Uh, but that is going to, you can find that um, on my website if you go to tomgibson.com, T H O M G I B S O N.com. Um, it'll be on the homepage or you can just go tomgibson.com slash class jobs. It'll send you to the course. The course is free. I walk you through 26 different classroom jobs, uh, the creative one, the supportive ones. A lot of them, uh, like you had uh, noted earlier, are applicable to both in-person classrooms and remote classrooms. I talk about the job application process, the hiring, the training. Um, and so that free course uh, you can find on my website, tomgibson.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate you coming and, and sharing about your passion project, but also sharing about, you know, your the classroom jobs that you have and the economies. They sound so modern and so connected to the real world, which, as you know, is one of our touchstones. So yeah. thanks so much for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Tom definitely gave us some really modern classroom jobs that get kids creating and making decisions. His passion for creating videos has taken his classroom practice to the next level, and he's able to help out other teachers in the process. If you haven't already, download the three steps to starting a passion project. It's free, and it will give you some concrete strategies to get started. I'll leave the link in the show notes which are at michelleschmidtmore.com slash podcast slash 20. On our next episode, what do YouTube, Among Us, and a middle schooler mindset have in common? They're all tools and ways that Mary Beth Penna, a seventh grade English and language arts teacher, is using to engage her students and parents alike. Until next time, designers. This is a more creative learning production hosted by Michelle Schmidt-Moore and edited by Christian Schmidt. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.